Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Looking back on a busy week of MMA news, a busy week of MMA fights, and looking ahead to an absolute banger of a fight card on Saturday night in Las Vegas. But Sandu, first off, it's the first time we've spoken since the weekend. How's things going? Well, listen, mate. In terms of being an MMA fan, couldn't be happier. Good weekend of action, good weekend of news. Um, we're rolling right into another big week in the world of, especially the UFC. But as a Spurs fan, I'm a bit gutted, mate. You know, we start the season off with a loss. I was I was so like pumped up for the season after watching All or Nothing, the great documentary series, which I actually finished last night on Amazon Prime. And that kind of had me raring, raring to go. But um, Ayo, you know, it's it's always a bummer when you kind of start the season on, on with a with a loss. So um, I'm well yeah, aware fingers of it crossed, myself. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed this weekend we're away to Southampton uh, and hopefully we can pick up our first points of the season. But apart from that, apart from that, I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? That's doing? good. Yeah, all or nothing, and it's mostly nothing right now. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. but um, no, I'm a I'm a Gillingham fan. For those who who aren't aware, Gillingham. For those who don't know who Gillingham are, which is totally understandable. We're in League One, so you've got the Premier League. Then beneath that, so that's 20 clubs in the Premier League. Then you've got 24 clubs in the Championship. And then beneath that, you've got another 24 clubs in League One. And we're going to be slap bang in the middle of the table or worse in League One. We we look really good in pre-season. We've looked really good. We've signed 11 players. But having watched the game, because because we're not allowed in the stadiums, right? The, the All of the teams in the Football League have got this setup where you can actually pay £10 and stream the game live. So I did that on Saturday while I was working. Stream the game live. I don't think we had a shot. <laughs> um, we Yeah, we lost 1-0 and we were lucky to get nil. And uh, yeah, we've signed 11 players and we still don't have anything that resembles a midfield, which is a slight concern. But you guys listening out there did not tune in for football chats. I'm aware of this. So... Uh, We've got a lot of MMA to talk about, and let's let's kick it off, Sandu, with uh, the events at the UFC Apex this weekend. UFC on ESPN plus 34, 34, 35. Um, UFC Vegas 10 was the was the hashtag. I hate these different naming conventions, by the way. They they complete they completely do my head in. But anyway, not a bad night. I know the fight card wasn't wasn't packed with A-listers. But plenty of talking points to come out of it. I mean, this we'll run from the uh, the bottom of the main card up very quickly because the, t- the main talking points came sort of later in the night. Billy Quarantillo got a good, good win over Carl Nelson, third round knockout. Bobby Green, who always delivers. One of my favourite guys to watch, Bobby Green. Unanimous decision in a great fight against Alan Patrick. Um, Ed Herman versus Mike Rodriguez, we will talk about in a second, Sandu. Roxanne Modafferi. Wins again against Andrea Lee. Everyone keeps counting out Roxy. She keeps winning fights. Otman Azaitar with a great first round finish of Karma Worthy. But let's talk about the main event, Sandy. Michelle Watson versus Angela Hill. This was a really important fight for both both fighters. Angela Hill, first African-American female to headline uh, a UFC card. Uh, on really good form as well heading into that fight. Um, but had suffered on the scorecards in her most recent matchup against Claudia Gadella. It happened again against Michelle Waterson. Super close fight. Um, I thought Waterson just edged it. Just edged it. 
Um, and that's how it turned out. With scorecards were a little bit all over the place. Uh, 47-48 for Angela Hill. 49-46 for Waterson, which might have been a bit of a stretch. 48-47 for Michelle Waterson. I gave it 48-47 for Waterson Sandu, but that was a, a really, really good fight. Great advert for women's MMA. Two really exciting fighters just going flat out for five rounds. Brilliant fight. What did you make of it? Yeah, I actually went the other way. I actually scored up at Angela Hill, and I think I think it all came down to that fifth round. I think the first two rounds, I think most people gave it to Angela Hill. Rounds three and four, you gave to Michelle Waterson, and then it's just how you took the action in in that fifth and final round, which was razor, razor close. So I've got no issue with a Waterson scorecard. Um, I've got no issue with an Angela Hill scorecard because that was my scorecard. Um, but I do feel for Hill because I actually scored the Claudia Gadella fight in her favor too. And so had that fight and this one gone in her favor on the official scorecards, Simon, we could be talking about Angela Hill riding a five-fight win streak. Given her activity over the last year as well, that could have put her in a completely different level in terms of rankings, in terms of future opportunities. It wasn't the case. Uh, big win for Michelle Watson. She needed it as well. She, I mean, I mean, I think both ladies needed a win, but I think if we're being honest, Watson really needed the win. She really needed the win. Um, I think Angela Hill. I think a lot of people can still kind of see she kind of came away from this fight. Even Dana White mentioned this. And there weren't any losers because I think just given Angela Hill's uh, recent level of activity, and I think most fans kind of can see the Cadella fight and this one to say, you know what, you know, you could score it for her. So I think she retains um, some level of um, competitiveness. So, uh, you know, uh, her resume isn't, you know, you know, it hasn't taken too much of a, an impact with regards to taking two losses back-to-back. Uh, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see her compete at least one more time uh, by the end of the year. Her level of, of activity is just ridiculous. But yeah, like you said, a great um, advert for women's MMA. It's not that often that we see strawweights actually headline a card unless it's for the title. Um, so it's a good opportunity kind of to put on a showcase. And, and both ladies delivered. Uh, bell to bell, action all the way, great fight. And mutual respect, which was nice to see at the end of it. Uh, but yeah, when you get a, a close fight like that, you just don't know which way the judges are going to go. And I saw a bit of um, you know chatter on 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 the MMA Twitter sphere with regards to which way people scored it. But I don't think you can argue one way or another. Either lady could have easily walked away with a decision. On this occasion, it was Watson. Yeah, it was um, it was it was it was a really really fun fight to watch. Um, and as you as as you rightly said, I think Watson stood to lose the most if she'd lost that fight. I think uh, she was going into that fight on a two-fight skid. Granted, they were against former champions, so we have to we have to put that caveat on it. You know, losing to Yuani and Jacek on the scorecards, no shame on that. Losing by split decision to Carla Esparza on the scorecards, no shame in that either. So it wasn't like she was getting, getting finished by anybody. So, um, But she's won four of her last six now. Um, and uh, she's still a factor in that division. As for Angela Hill, Dana White made a point in a post-fight press conference to say she looks better with every fight, and as you say, he said she didn't lose that fight. Okay, on the card, she lost a fight, but her stock is still rising, and uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the UFC looked to revisit that Claudia Gadella fight again. I wonder whether that might might be something we see 
uh, a little further down the line. It was a somewhat controversial uh, result. Angela Hill, I thought, won that fight. You thought won that fight. I know a lot of other people scored that fight for her as well. Maybe they'll look to redo it. I mean, Claudia is ranked, I think, sixth right now in the uh, in the uh, strawweight division. Uh, Angela Hill, as I'm looking at it right now, is 13th. She's not going to be moving up um, as a result of the weekend. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe they'll go back to that. But um, for for um, Michelle Watson, really important win for her. And I think now she's going to be looking at the people ranked above her um, for her next matchup. So, um yeah, interesting to see how all that shakes out as the uh, as, as as the year progresses. And I agree with you as well, Sandu. Angela Hill will be back in a cage before before the end of the year, unless she's got some sort of injury that the, the rules are out. I fully expect her to be in the cage like November, early December time, because that's just how she rolls. She's uh, she's the cowboy Cerrone of the uh, the women's strawweight division. She 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 will fight anywhere. So, kudos to the pair of them. Great great fight. Now, the other fight we've got to talk about on that main card, the Ed Herman-Mike Rodriguez fight. If you were looking at this fight card going in, um, you could be forgiven for thinking, okay, this is maybe the lowest lowest fight in terms of fan interest. Ed Herman, the hardcores love Ed Herman. He was on the third season, The Ultimate Fighter, which, as a pair of Brits, holds a certain amount of... Uh, certain amount of um, Kudos, because that's the that's the year Michael Bisping won. Um, he was on that series. Uh, he's taken on slow Mike Rodriguez, and um, Rodriguez really should have won that fight. If if there'd been any justice, he would have won that fight. He 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 hurt Herman badly with a knee to the body, and uh, the referee Chris Toyoni, um, a good, solid, reliable referee. He's not someone who makes massive errors on any kind of regular basis. He's not a name that you hear criticised very often when it comes to his decisions in the cage. He made a mistake, Sandu. He called that as a low blow. He gave Ed Herman five minutes to recover. He used most of those five minutes. And even though Rodriguez came back and put it on him again, Toyoni let Herman try and stay in the fight. And somehow, even though he was losing the fight quite clearly and quite decisively, when he's back on the mat, taking punishment, he managed to grab Rodriguez's left arm, lock up a Kimura, game over halfway through the third and final round. Real, I mean, first off, kudos to Ed Herman to take all that punishment to come back and win. But that fight should have been over, Sandu. That was a, that was a, a big misstep from the ref, right? It was. Uh, but I don't want to go too uh, heavy on the ref here. And I know a lot of people have uh, initially when the, uh, the the fight was playing out. And I think even Dana White said something along the lines of it's one of the worst um, you know, decisions or lack thereof he's ever seen uh, in, in, his, in his life. It's one of those things where I think action happens so fast. The referee never has... Uh, well, actually, this is a good talking point. You know, replays... Uh, in Vegas, I believe, are allowed. Um, and perhaps he could have relied on a replay to, to make a better decision there. Uh, we just don't see replays and, and video footage used enough. I'd love to see it getting you know, more incorporated in the sport. Um, but I think we, we've got a tough enough job trying to you know, get uh, the rules and regulations and other, and other things turned around um, as it currently stands. And obviously, he's botched it here. Um, it, 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 you know, nine times out of ten... I think 
referees do a good job with with, with, with groin shots. You know, I think it's quite visible. It's usually uh, a, a knee or a kick where from an angle you can pretty much tell, you know, uh, if it's actually hit in the actual area. Um, but in this occasion, he's obviously, you know, fumbled it. Kudos to Head Ehrman. Like, you could talk about sportsmanlike conduct and, and, you know, being a good sport and all the rest of it. But when you're, you know, when you're kind of fighting for the other half of your paycheck, and that's how you, you know, provide for your family. You're gonna, you know, it's it's like, you know, um, eye pokes. I don't agree with eye pokes. I don't agree with um, groin shots. But we can have a conversation about referees being harsher with point deductions because you could make a case that explaining the rules and essentially giving both fighters the verbal warning backstage prior to any action taking place is that warning. And then if something happens like an eye poke or a groin strike, then that's it. It's an immediate point deduction. I'd love to see that implemented a lot more uh, because I actually think then it completely changes the psychology of how fights play out and what fighters perhaps need to do to win. But Ed Herman played it all to his advantage. I'll give you the quote. This is what he said to Michael Bisping in in, in the post-fight interview. He said, I don't know where I got hit, but I know I was hurt and I went down. I don't know if it was the groin or the body. So that's what Ed Herman told Michael Bisping after the fight. Um, obviously, you know, you could say maybe he's done a good job there of kind of selling the confusion and kind of sidestepping um, the elephant in the room <laughs> with regards to that topic coming out of that fight. But look, you know, he's walked away with a full ch- a full paycheck there. Uh, so, so kudos to him at his age. You know, it's not as if he's fighting for the title anytime soon. Uh, I'm sure like these paychecks mean a lot to him. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those unfortunate situations where the wrong guy won. You know, it should have been Mike Rodriguez coming out of that situation with a second round TKO. And uh, Ed Herman came back in that third round and got a Kimura finish. We don't see Kimura finishes uh, too often these days. It used to be all the rage back in the day. But I think most people's defenses with Kimuras have gotten so good that we just don't see him that often. So to see a Kimura finish, and it's been a while since I've seen one, uh, was was quite refreshing to see. So poor Mike Rodriguez, he got hard done by on Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, Ed Herman was uh, he was taking the he's taking a page out of a politician's notebook during that post fight interview. Like he was like he knew damn well he wasn't hitting the nuts. You, if you get hit in the nuts, you remember. You know it doesn't cause memory loss. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, if you get hit in the nuts, you know about it, and you probably talk to people about it for the next week because of how how much it hurts. Like I got I got caught in the nuts by my daughter a few weeks ago, and every and everybody everybody I spoke to for the next two weeks I had to tell about. I, I, I had to explain it to them, just because that's what you do. You get you know you, you you catch one in the old plums, you just say oh I really caught it in the nuts the other day. What happened? Oh this happened. Blah, blah, blah. Ed Herman knew he didn't get hit in the nuts. We knew he didn't get hit in the nuts. This was all some sort of charade playing out in front of us, but. Um, Kudos to him. I mean, 41 professional fights. That is now a three-fight win streak for him. Um, uh, you know, you take the wins where they come. And, uh, you know, he he didn't cheat. That's the one thing I do want to say. He didn't cheat and he was hurt, right? So, all uh, he did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. The referee gave him five minutes to recover. He used the five minutes to recover. That's it. The mistake is with the ref. It was an honest mistake. 
Um, the thing with the instant replays is an interesting one because it's just like the VAR in football. It's like you have to draw the line as to what decisions are you going to use it for and what ones aren't you going to use it for? Because you don't want referees not making decisions because they know they can then go back to check the video afterwards or something. You want them to call what they see. And Chris Toyoni saw a groin shot or thought he did um, because he didn't because there wasn't one. But good referees, I think, are also very aware of how fighters react in certain situations. And I think he just misinterpreted Ed Herman's reaction as a guy who got hit in the nuts rather than being hit in the stomach. You know what you could do in that situation, Simon? You could potentially have a second referee on the outside looking at video replay uh, as as soon as it's available. And so in this, in this situation, if Ed Herman was given five minutes, say within 15 seconds, your the, the assistant referee on the outside has just talked to you in your ear, right? And said, hang a second, that's a legal shot, continue the fight. At least in that situation, you can be like, Ed Herman, up on your feet, the fight has to continue immediately, right? So at least there's something that can be done. And I, and I, and I agree. I think, I, I tell you what, I'd love to see at least some some sort of video replays tried a little bit more. Maybe it's not the UFC. Maybe it's more lower level regional promotional stuff. Uh, second referee on the outside or in an enclosed room somewhere away, uh, being able to see all the different you know angles and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Ed Hammond didn't cheat. He just kind of you know went by what the referee did there. Yeah, well, we're better to trial it than on the Contender Series. I mean, mm. you've got all of the infrastructure in the building. You can set up a referee there. And as you say, the commentary team can see, the fans can see. Why, why should the one guy who is responsible for the safety of the fighters and the integrity of the fight, why can he not be party to the same information? Seems a bit, a bit, um, a bit lopsided. It doesn't really make sense, but it's got to be done properly. So yeah, that's, you know, Maybe the contender series is something that they could trial with, you know, work with the Nevada, the the Nevada Athletic Commission, um, and and see if see if you can experiment with a few of these things. Use that as a proving ground for stuff, like in in football um, when they're bringing in new rules, new technology. They'll normally trial it for like a youth game or a lower level game. They'll pick a league somewhere in Europe and put the technology on that game, and say right, we're going to trial this, whether it's goal line technology or whatever. They'll trial it for a period of time, think, okay, we're happy with this. Then they roll it out. And I think it could work in exactly the same way. But um, no, shame for Mike Rodriguez. I think the UFC paid him his win bonus anyway. So um, so good good on them for doing that. Um, it was a decent fight night, Sandu. I mean, you know, it, as I say, it wasn't, wasn't uh, packed with, with star names. One other person that I have to mention, um, I write about the debutants every week and... Kevin Kroon stepped in on two days' notice against a highly rated uh, rising prospect, Roosevelt Roberts. Uh, yeah, two days' notice with a pretty mixed record, it's fair to say. I mean, his record uh, heading in was 21-12, and 12, Kevin Kroon. That's not the sort of record that normally gets you a UFC call-up, but he was, he was on a three-fight win streak heading in. Um, they gave him the call-up on two days' notice completely unfancied fighting a weight class above where he normally does and then bang he goes straight in there and gets himself a first round 31 second submission finish of uh, Roosevelt Roberts and he tweeted this afternoon I don't know if you saw it 
He said uh, on Wednesday, he said, I had $64 in my bank account and I was wondering how I was going to get it to 65. And then look what's happened now. He got a last minute call up to the UFC. He wins his fight and he gets a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. That is, that is that's Cinderella stuff. Amazing. Yeah, I love it. Um, outside of him though, Simon, I really do want to quickly talk about Ottman Izaita. I mean, this guy, wow. First of all, his fight with uh, Karma Worthy was initially supposed to take place back at UFC 249 earlier on in the year. Obviously, we, we know what happened there. The event, you know, um, got cancelled due to COVID-19 and all the rest of it. Then they were supposed to fight on the uh, the Overeem Sakai uh, card uh, just a week ago. And then it got moved to uh, this past weekend. And we had to wait for it, but boy, did it deliver. This this fella, Simon, Okman. Azaita, 13 fights, 13 wins, 12 finishes. This guy, I mean, we, we talk, I mean, now we're talking about, you know, and I'm sure later on in the show we're going to discuss uh, Hazma, uh, Kimaev. This is another one. Otman Azaita is all action. Like, <laughs> he came, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Obviously, you look at the record, you see all the finishes. You know, Karma Worthy's, you know, had a lot of, um, you know, mark to put behind him coming through the Contender Series and all the rest of it. But wow, man. Otman Azaita, talk about utilizing that spot in the co-main event situation and making the most of it. He And, and then on top of that, he comes out of the cage and he's pointing to the camera operator right on the broadcast and he's essentially giving him or her directions because he was basically about to shake Dana White's hand. So you know you've done it a, a good job and you've done well for yourself when Dana White wants to peer around the plexiglass and shake your hand after a performance like that. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing you know how he kind of moves on from here and, and how the UFC book him moving forward. But he's definitely someone we should keep an eye on. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know one of my colleagues, at MMA Junkie Farah Hanoon, is very, very high on this guy. Uh, came through Brave Combat Federation. I think he might even have held their lightweight belt at one point. Um, got a big win on his UFC debut against Timu Pakalan. Then, as you say, his fight got put back a bit and gets a win over Karma Worthy, who himself was looking pretty dangerous uh, in that 155 division. But 13-0, they call him the bulldozer. And uh, yeah, we certainly found out why on Saturday night. Big, big win for uh, Otman Azaitar. That was UFC fight night in Vegas. Uh, unsurprisingly, Otman Azaitar got a $50,000 bonus. Kevin Kroom, $50,000 bonus. And the fight in the night, unsurprisingly, was that main event between Michelle Watson and Angela Hill. But that wasn't the only live MMA we had. This past weekend, we had a double header of Bellator action. Friday night saw Bellator 245. Uh, light heavyweight rematch. We talked about it on last week's show. Phil Davis uh, getting the split decision win over Leota Machida. Kat Zingano kicking off her Bellator career with uh, a pretty solid, solid win over Gabby Holloway. And uh, Taylor Johnson coming in and stunning Ed Ruth. With a heel hook, it was a very, very big surprise in terms of reputations and everything. Did you see what happened in the Raymond Daniels fight, Sandu? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Talk about nut shots. There was no Chris Tonioni definitely knew this would have been a nut shot because I think everybody watching knew it was. It was the nut shot from hell. I think the guy's probably still lying on the floor crying now. It was one of the worst I've ever seen. It was literally, I think, the only thing. 
that caught my eye with regards to Bellator this weekend. Because on Saturday night, I was on shift for BT Sports, so there was a conflict of schedule there. And then on Friday night, I was too engrossed in the uh, in the NBA. And so, man, that is by far, hands down, easily the worst nutshot I've ever seen for as long as I've been watching this sport. And that's been a freaking long time. And you know when someone's crying and wriggling around in pain and, and you know it's a serious one. Thankfully, and I, and I, and I know this you know, doesn't sound great, thankfully it's only a contusion according uh, to, to what he said on social media. So thank, listen mate, I've, se- you know, we, you know, I've seen people tweet and talk about completely losing uh, a testicle in a, in a situation like that, you know, being hit with such impact, such force. So thankfully... He's got two fully functional testicles moving forward. But my goodness, in terms of a video going viral, that was it. That was that video and that moment was the talking point from anything that happened on both of those Bellator cards put together. Because it's just, you know, you know how it is. A video like that goes on social media, you know, it starts to go viral and then you've got lads talking about, you know, women don't know what it feels like to get you know, hit in the nuts and you've got women saying, well, you don't know what it's like to give. But, you know, it causes those kind of stupid arguments online. But that's what happens on social media. But my goodness, oh, my God. Raymond Daniels, he is one of the most lethal strikers in MMA. You'll be all saw what he's done in the last couple of years. He, he is like a highlight reel machine. And so, you know, every time he throws a punch or a kick, especially when he's put some force around it with a twist or a turn, it's coming in full pelt. So um, I would not want to be on the receiving end of one of those, not by a long shot. No, I, every Bellator card, I do, a, I do a feature called Burning Questions. And uh, one of my burning questions was, will Raymond Daniels add to his highlight reel at Bellator 245? The answer to that was yes. But it wasn't quite in the way that I was intending. I mean, like, he's already got one of the all-time great highlight knockouts from uh, his win over Wilker Barros, which was in Birmingham, England, back in 2019. It was like a a spinning tornado punch. um, And it was just one of the most... It was like something out of a video game. It was insane. Absolutely insane. He then got another highlight reel finish in his next fight. It set up this fight with Peter uh, Stanenik, who is a is a kickboxer, basically. He's a kickboxer that does MMA. He tends to do most of his work in kickboxing. Um so I knew that there was a there was a fair chance we were gonna see a highlight reel finish somewhere along the line. Uh, and that's why they put that fight on the main card above some other arguably uh, more seasoned names. Um I think they were expecting something. I don't think anyone was expecting that, least of all. Poor Peter Stanenik. I hope he's uh, he's feeling a little bit less uh, tender at this point in the week. Um, but yeah, that was Bellator 245 on the Friday night. That led into Bellator 246 on Saturday night. Smaller card. Um, probably not as good a card in truth. But it was all about um, the top two fights on that card. Neiman Gracie um, showing just how much of a wizard that man is on the ground submitting John Fitch by heel hook. John Fitch then calling time on his MMA career, uh, putting the gloves down inside the Bellator cage um, after a, a remarkable career, really, where he did pretty much everything except for win one of the major belts. Uh, he was always there or thereabouts, never quite managed to get it done. 
but a great career nonetheless. We wish him all the best. But then it was the main event, the battle for the vacant bantamweight belt. It was held by Kyoji Horiguchi, um, who then ended up having to uh, vacate the title uh, due to injury. They put the belt up for grabs. Juan Archuleta defeated Patchy Mix uh, by unanimous decision. Close fight, competitive fight. Really, really good stuff to headline that Bellator card. And now they've got a bantamweight champion once again, Sandu. And uh, I'd love to see uh, Horiguchi come back and face him in the, in the not-too-distant future. That would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'd love it. I think with UFC uh, with, with UFC having so many uh, champions fighting consistently, that's what you know, Bellator needs to do. They need to get all their uh, champions active. And there was a situation with Bader you know, holding both belts and not being active for a while and COVID hit and all the rest of it. I just think Bellator need to keep all their champions active because at least that way... It's an easy way to sell a marquee. It's an easy way to say, hey, we've got a championship fight this weekend. Uh, so I'm all for it. And if we can get Horogic coming back, great. All, all, the, all the more for it. And again, more collaborations uh, with Ryzen down the road, I think with Bellator would be fantastic. I love cross-promotional stuff. We never see it in the UFC. We never will see it in the UFC. But with Bellator and other promotions, um, I think it's a, a great way to sell a fight. It's a great way to promote a fight. It's easy to get uh, stories and, and media attention when you do cross-promotional situations like that. So, yeah, I'm all down for that. Yeah, and uh, Bellator are gradually, gradually getting themselves back up to full speed now. They've just announced uh, some some European events, believe it or not. Now, they, they were going to be due to be in Dublin, Ireland at the start of October. That event has now been cancelled. That was going to be headlined by a lightweight bout between Peter Queeley and uh, Patricky Pitbull. Um, that event is now off um, due to the COVID restrictions and everything. Um, and I believe Peter Queeley is now recovering from from hand surgery as well. So uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, so he's out of he's out of action for a little while. Um, so uh, that fight is off the table. In its place, we now have Bellator two forty seven, which will take place at the Allianz Cloud in Milan, Italy, which is going to be. Uh, I believe it's going to be behind closed doors. That'll be on October the 1st. And that we have one confirmed fight for that so far. Paul Daly against Derek Anderson. That will be, uh, that's the one confirmed fight. And that's the, the, the debut show for Bellator on uh, CBS, having uh, switched from Paramount Network. That's a big deal. We'll talk about that in a second. And also confirmed, a bit of a landmark for Bellator and a bit of a, a, bit of a coup, really. Bellator 248. Uh, is going to take place on October the 10th at the Accor Arena in Paris, France. The first major MMA organization to go into France and hold a main main card event, you know, a, a big time event. It's going to be headlined by a Frenchman, appropriately. Czech Congo is taking on uh, Timothy Johnson uh, in the main event. MVP Michael Venom Page is the co-main event, taking on former Cage Warriors welterweight champion Ross Houston and uh, there is uh, another fight on there Brian Hoyer against another Frenchman Davy Gallum who if you remember rightly is the man who knocked out um, Ross Pearson with the uh, rolling thunder if I remember rightly I believe that was uh, I believe that was uh, that was the fight um, at Pro Bellum I think it might have been so um, but yeah it's all beginning to happen for Bellator they're gradually rolling out events 
But you're you're over on the other side of the pond, Sandu. How big of a deal is it that they're moving away from Paramount and onto CBS Sports? And there's 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 a Showtime deal in the mix as well. I understand. Yeah, it doesn't affect me because I'm in Canada, but I'm fully aware of what it means for for US sports broadcast rights and all the rest of it. It's huge. They're moving away from the Paramount channel. And listen, I love Yellowstone. I don't know if you've got a chance to see it yet. I think it's a fantastic show. But that's what Paramount Channel's there for. It's for TV shows. It's for movies, things like that. It's not a channel really made for uh, promoting and broadcasting sport. You go over to CBS Sports Network and the demo and the audience that tunes into that channel regularly is already you know, tuning in for sports. So it's it kind of it kind of it's a good you know mix there with everything else that they kind of broadcast, and it's just an easier way to promote another sport on a channel dedicated to sport. What I found the most interesting part in all this is they're essentially moving to Thursday nights. So now, this is a good thing, first of all, in my opinion, because I think going head to head with the UFC is never a, a good idea in terms of media coverage, in terms of eyeballs, in terms of trying to do well in the ratings. Second of all, Thursday nights, I think Bellator throughout the year will do well on Thursday nights, except for two reasons and two periods of the year. When the NFL starts, and that is now, so the NFL is basically on from like September until February, Super Bowl in February, right? So that's a good five-month period, six-month period of the year where there's lots of Thursday night NFL. The other kind of challenge is going to be when the PFL come back. So when I was working at the PFL, the big thing, one of the big promotional USPs about the promotion was we are Thursday night MMA. We're going to own Thursday nights for MMA fans, which is great because there's no other MMA action. So if you're fiending for some more combat sports, Thursday night, PFL, flick it on, you're good to go. So now there's going to be moments in 2021 when the PFL return and the PFL typically kicks off this uh, regular season in May. So they have a run of six weeks from May to June. Then they have three weeks in August, which is their playoffs. And then they have their championship event on New Year's Eve. So this is going to be quite interesting to cover because next year we're going to have Bellator and PFL essentially, unless things change and PFL move their uh, scheduled night of the week. We're going to have the PFL and Bellator going head-to-head, A. And B, we're going to have CBS Sports Network versus ESPN going head-to-head. So it's going to be fascinating just from both from your perspective and my perspective as the outsiders looking to see how these US broadcasters try and utilize essentially the same sport with competing leagues and how they promote what kind of fights we get, scheduling, all the rest of it. That's going to be very, very interesting to see. Um, so I think, listen, I would rather the Bellator go up against trying to fiend off or uh, you know Thursday night football and Bellator versus the UFC on Saturday night. I just think they can compete a lot more better on a Thursday night with everything else uh, that they need to compete against versus the UFC. The, going up against the UFC is never a good idea. So, and and, it, and, and overall, well, let's see how this Showtime situation um, plays out. If they end up doing some stuff on Showtime, then you've got another big juggernaut in the sports world really helping to promote your brand and your fighters. Maybe this means they've got a war chest of money now to maybe go after more free agents and all the rest of it. So it's a good thing. It's a very, very good thing for the sport. Um, 
And yeah, I think overall, it's been a great week for Bellator. You know, they're, they're back up and running. They're holding events. They're keeping their fighters busy. They're going to go to France. They're, they're beating the UFC to hold an event in France. So that's a great coup for them. And that cannot be understated enough. Like We've been following this sport for a long time, Simon. French MMA, the French MMA fan base and the audience and the potential to see what kind of fighters can emerge once that domino effect takes place is going to be very, very interesting. Just to see that finally you know, come through to fruition now is fantastic. And also, outside of the UFC holding events in the Apex and Fight Island, Bellator are actually going around. They're going to Italy. They're going to France, right? So hopefully, this is going to be a great case study to see if they can pull off these events safely, you know, with all the different, um, you know, cities and countries that they need to travel to and all the rest of it. So, so yeah, huge week in terms of news and announcements and PR, as well as events for Bellator MMA. Yeah, definitely. And the thing about them going up against the PFL, um, I'm hoping that it leads to a bit more creativity in, in how they do stuff. I mean, we're already hearing that it looks like they're going to host a flyweight women's Grand Prix. So I would imagine that will be a major, a major part of their Thursday night programming moving forward. Um, get that tournament on there. It's it's almost appointment viewing. You can follow the bracket through. That sits interestingly alongside and against PFL's league format. Um, which I think is is a really interesting way to to promote MMA. It's very different to what anybody else is doing, and I think I think if packaged well and it's packaged pretty well already, it can really work. Especially if you can get some bigger names in there, and they've got Rory McDonald is obviously over there now, and I know they're looking to bring some more names in. So I think it makes it makes for more interesting MMA product for 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 the fans to consume, and having it spread out over the course of the week a little bit. That's great for us. It means that we haven't got to pick and choose which card are we going to watch tonight because you could potentially just watch all of them one day after another almost. But with the thir- you've got the Thursday night war possibly coming up between PFL and, and, and Bellator. But I mean, if you're PFL, do you stick with a Thursday night? I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't know how much latitude and flexibility they've got in the ESPN schedules. I mean, is there much going on on a Wednesday? Is there much going on on a Friday? You know, um, Friday might not be a terrible, terrible place to sit because, you know, the NFL doesn't have games on a Friday for a start. So, you know, that might be a nice little sweet spot um, as a bit of a warm up for the weekend. Who knows? I mean, it's good that all this stuff is happening. I know the PFL already got plans in place for the coming the coming season in 2021, but they've not nailed down individual dates yet, I don't think so. It'd be really interesting to see how all of this shakes out over the coming months. But the good, it should be good news for the fans, that's for sure. The only challenging thing that both the PFL that are already accustomed to and Bellator will get accustomed to is getting bums on seats, is selling tickets for a Thursday night show. It's not easy. Let me just tell you that much. It is not Having worked for the PFL last year, it was not easy to try and get folks after work and thinking about when your prelims start and all the rest of it. Plus, it's a work night, right? So it's, it's a lot e- you know easier to sell tickets for Friday and Saturday night shows when people have checked out for the weekend. So something to keep an eye on will be attendances and, and, and all the rest of it, depending on what shows look like. Uh, right now, no problem, right? It's uh, We're in the middle of a pandemic and you can essentially put on events without any fans, 
let's see what these shows look like in Italy and France and if they're going to do limited audience with social distancing and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, that's going to be something to keep an eye on in 2021 as well, especially with regards to these Thursday night shows and how many fans they can pack into the arenas and, and where they go location-wise as well. Yeah, definitely. And and, and just to put a bow on the uh, on, on, on the Bellator chat this week, um, two other shows confirmed for October for Bellator. Um, so just to quickly run through really quickly. So we've got 247, October the 1st in Milan, 248, October the 10th in Paris. Then you've got 249, which is at Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, which has kind of been their base during the pandemic. It's the fight sphere, as they call it. Um, that's their US home, much like the UFC hold their shows at the uh, at the Apex. Bellator have set up residence at Mohegan Sun. Bellator 249 will be headlined by a women's featherweight title fight between Chris Cyborg and Arlene Blenko. Uh, that will be the main event uh, on October the 15th. And finally, Bellator 250 will take place on October the 29th, also at Mohegan Sun. Uh, and that is, that's got an absolute banger in the main event. Douglas Lima, Gago Misasi for the Bellator middleweight title. Can Douglas Lima become a champ champ or will Gago Misasi reunite himself with the 185 pound belt that he lost in London uh, last year? So uh, that's, that's all Bellator business dealt with. And speaking of business, Sandu, there is some business to be done in the UFC lightweight division. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Dana White told the press um, after an event that Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson would, and I put in quotes, probably fight next. Everyone got understandably excited by this, including the media. Absolute dynamite matchup. Great fight for Tony Ferguson to bounce straight back into title contention. Great fight for Dustin Poirier to bounce into title contention. And just from a stylistic point of view, that's the sort of fight you, you, you know, you can, you could just put that fight on the card and that will sell because it's an absolute, absolute banger of a fight at 155 pounds. However, it now appears that there have been some issues. The UFC haven't been able to come to terms with Dustin Poirier over a suitable uh, salary for that fight. And now the UFC, based on what Dana White told the press this weekend after uh, the event at the Apex, they're now moving on from that fight. They said it, He said it's not salvageable. They're not trying to salvage it. Now, we know that Dana White, when he says something is definitely not happening, that doesn't mean that it's definitely not happening. We have been down this road before. Tony Ferguson has come out and got on social media and actually given words of support for Dustin Poirier, saying, pay the man. So... What's your take on all this, Sandu? I mean, are we going to get this fight or are the UFC really going to keep these two guys apart and, and book them separately? I mean, and also how much leverage would the two fighters have if they worked together on this and applied a little bit of pressure? It's a really interesting situation. It's a fight I'd love to see. Yeah, look, who doesn't want to see Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier? Who doesn't want to see El Kakui versus El Diamante? Come on. This is an amazing fight and potentially could set up a future title contender just given where they are in division and the rankings. Plus, depending on what happens fight week between Khabib and Gaethje, you know, one of them most likely, you know, Poirier, given the, the recent run, would be in line to perhaps slip in there 
um, unless Khabib was the one that was needing a challenger. In that case, I think you put Tony Ferguson there just to finally get that fight to happen. But let's not even think about that situation playing out. I think they have leveraged Simon, but not a lot, if I'm being honest. It's great to see Tony Ferguson come out today on social media and essentially give some support to Dustin Poirier, essentially asking Dana White to pay this man whatever you know he's worth to make this fight happen because he wants to give this fight to both the hardcore and the casual fans. It reminds me of the lead up to UFC 202 between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. For those that perhaps uh, don't remember, Conor McGregor did a no-show at, at a press conference. And I think at that time, it wasn't even for UFC 202. It was for UFC 200. It was a big press conference. That was initially, that that fight was initially planned for UFC 200. Conor doesn't turn up. And then someone from the media asked Dana White what was going on. And he was like, we're going to move on. And we're going to get another opponent for Nate. Nate then gets in the mic and says, no. I'm essentially only here to fight Conor McGregor. Big difference between Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, and a rematch on pay-per-view versus Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier filling up a main card for a pay-per-view already headlined by a title fight. So when you're talking about leverage, what you know, I don't think they've got as much leverage as uh, two of the biggest draws in the sports history. Uh, at that time, one of the biggest fights in the sports history, right? That being said, I hope, it's more hope that Dana White and the UFC figure this out. Because they are the ones that always like to say they, they basically put on the fights that the fans want to see. Well, unanimously, the fans, the media, the hardcore, the casuals, everyone is bang up for this fight. Everybody wants to see it. It's going to be a fantastic tear up if it goes down. So to almost dangle the carrot by saying a couple of weeks ago, yeah, that's the fight that's probably going to happen. And that's going to take place on UFC 254, which is easily, if you include this fight between Ferguson and Poirier, easily one of the most stacked cards in UFC history, especially that pay-per-view main card. To then take this away would just be a punch in the gut. Could they do Tony Ferguson versus somebody else? Yeah, probably. Could they, you know, basically put Dustin Poirier on ice if they don't want to pay him what he wants? Yeah, probably. Who does that really help, though? You know, yes, I know we, we talked about this to death in previous episodes. We know that when it comes to negotiating the UFC like it, when, you know, fighters like Daniel Cormier tend to do these kind of things behind closed doors versus in public and social media. We've seen what's happened with John Jones and all the rest of it. But um, I think when it comes to kudos, when it comes to respect, when it comes to, as Dustin Poirier likes to put it, being paid in full, He's, you know, he's paid his dues to everyone in this sport. Himself, the promotion, the fans. So you've got, to, and so has Tony Ferguson. So you've got two guys here in Ferguson Poirier that have the full support of the fan base to want to make this fight happen. So I guess we'll see how this thing plays out. And I guess the next time we hear from Dana White will probably be at some point this week as he promotes Woodley versus Covington. And uh, I hope in the in the coming days something happens behind the scenes and they can figure figure this out because if they can now say hey you know what we got a deal done it's just going to make everyone feel good again you know and is this going to give this fight that already had a pretty good spotlight an even bigger spotlight when you talk about a backstory with you know a fighter helping his fellow peer get a bigger payday so that 
the fight can happen, which is not exactly an easy fight. This isn't a gimme for either fighter. The fact that Tony Ferguson wants this fight to happen just shows, you know, how much respect he has for Poirier. And um, yeah, look, it's great to see. And, and I'm really hoping for both fighters that um, this all gets figured out and we actually see them compete uh, in October. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing, right? Look at Tony Ferguson. Let's let's assume for a minute that this isn't going to happen, right? And they're going to look to rebook Tony Ferguson. Off the top of my head, there are two at a stretch, three fights that you could book that would get the fans as excited as the Dustin Poirier fight. Number one is the Khabib fight, right? But we know that that's not happening because Justin Gaethje's facing him. Second one is a Conor McGregor fight. Conor's kind of got some stuff to deal with right now. Arguably, the best thing for him is to get back in the mix. Who knows? Maybe. But it's it's a massive long shot that he'll come back into a fight like that. The third one, which is the one that maybe the UFC are looking at, is Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler, three-time Bellator lightweight champion and um, a free agent. One of the hottest free agents in the sport right now. Actively in talks with the UFC. Wants to fight. Was even asked on social media, would you fight... Would you step in and fight Tony Ferguson? The answer was, yes, I would. So that's, he's in. If the UFC want that, that's handy for them. And that's a fight that I think would capture the imagination of hardcore fans. The more casual fans, maybe not, because maybe not everybody is as up to speed with Michael Chandler's abilities um, as, 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 as maybe they should be. But it's got to be, it's got to be the Poirier fight. It absolutely has to be the Dustin Poirier fight. I hope they can make it happen. Um, it's a fight that, that makes complete sense, whichever way you look at it. And Dustin Poirier is not a maverick. He's not a money grabber. He's not um, some sort of mercenary fighter who is, is out there just to take every dollar he can. Yeah, he's, he's a prize fighter. He's in it to get paid. But we've seen over the course of his career... The one thing that you can you can say about Dustin Poirier, he's got some integrity about him. You know, he's a decent man. He's a reasonable man. Um, he, he does an awful lot of work outside of MMA for the for for the community. Does a lot of charity work uh, and uses his platform as a professional fighter to help enrich other people's lives, which is to be commended and and celebrated. Why doesn't he deserve? to be paid. I think the issue is probably that this fight isn't, isn't going to be a main event, but they're probably going to want main event money because it's that kind of fight. So they're probably looking to, to pay three round money when they want five round money, I suspect. So, and I think that's the sticking point. So hopefully there's some wriggle room there and we can get it done and we can get that on that card and it can be even more insane than it already is. But speaking of insane and speaking of crazy fights and all the rest of it, this weekend, Sandu, UFC on ESPN plus 35 or 36, I can't even keep up, 36, has got a Dynamite main card. This is only a fight night card. There's no pay-per-view business going on here. This is a fight night card where typically you tend to get one or two okay sort of big biggish name fights and then a load of prospects. This is a banger of a card. I mean... Let's just start with the main event because that's 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 the one that's getting the people tuning in. Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, former UFC interim welterweight champion, 
versus former undisputed UFC welterweight champion. Woodley's on a two-fight skid. Covington's looking to bounce back after getting his jaw broken by um, Kamara Usman. This is this is this is a huge fight for both men. It's going to be really interesting to see just how all this goes. Um, how do you see this one, Sandu? Yeah, it's going to be tough. I'll tell you what, look, not to put a dampener on it, am I excited about Covington versus Woodley? You're damn right I am. I can't wait. But this is probably the best way of, I guess, describing how I feel about it. You know it's a Friday night or a Saturday night and you've been healthy all week, you've been to the gym, you know, you've had some good portion meals, but it's cheat day, right? So you kind of order a, 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 an awesome takeaway, right? And, and and it comes in and you're, you're, you're just kind of enjoying your, your takeaway meal on, on a Saturday night, but there's some left over. So what you do is you pop it in the fridge, right? And then on Sunday, you wake up and you reheat it and then you perhaps have it for Sunday lunch or, you know, you just wake up a little bit hungover and you perhaps save it for Sunday dinner or something, right? So leftovers. So basically, it's a takeaway that you reheat, right? You still enjoy it. It wasn't as good as last night. And that's exactly what Covington and Woodley uh, it is for me. If this fight had taken place a couple of years ago when Woodley was champion, right? And Covington was doing his thing. And they were really pushing the boundaries when it comes to, to uh, politics and, and race and all the rest of it, right? This was and could have been on course to being one of the biggest selling pay-per-views of the year. And I, and I firmly believe that because they were red hot and I, and I really felt like the UFC were going to strike while the iron was hot. One thing led to another. We didn't get it. And now you fast forward to 2020, Woodley isn't champion. Covington eventually ended up fighting for the strap, but it was against Usman. There was still some heat, but nowhere near the heat that he was generating when Woodley was champion. And uh, we saw what happened. And so this is an important fight, but it's like they both need a win here. You know, for Woodley, like you said, he's coming off a two-fight two skid, but who are, the, who are the, the fighters that he's lost to? The champ, Kamara Usman, right? And Gilbert Burns who is about to fight for the title, right? So he's not exactly, you know, losing to, ch to chumps here. And and if he loses to Covington, then, yeah, it's a three-fight skid, but we're talking about three of the best welterweights in the world, you know? And for, for, for Covington, yeah, this is, you know, an opportunity to, to bounce back. You know, you could easily, you know, say, hey, you know what, I'll win here, and he could perhaps fight for the title again, right? Or at least put him on the right track. I tell you who's some, who, something that somebody needs to do big time this weekend, and that's Leon Edwards, Simon. Leon Edwards is not getting a fight from a top-ranked opponent from the UFC anytime soon unless someone falls out injured and he gets a last-minute call, which in that situation isn't going to be an ideal situation for him. I think this is Leon's best opportunity this weekend to call out the winner. Whoever wins this fight, I think Leon should be going after big time on social media. He should be doing interviews. He should have his management behind the scenes using all their lines of communication with UFC matchmakers and UFC president Dana White to try and get Leon to fight the winner of this fight. Because I think if he doesn't, I just don't know where he goes from here. And I don't want to steer this conversation away from this main event or this main card, but Leon hasn't fought in over a year. And if he can't fight 
in this final quarter of 2020, he'll be heading into 2021 with some serious cage rust and perhaps not fighting coming up to almost two years given the, 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 the landscape of the welterweight division. So, yeah, that's a bit of a caveat for me to throw in Leon Edwards into the mix in terms of a, a topic conversation. But switching it back to Covington Woodley, I'm bang up for it. I can't wait to see what fight week looks like in terms of interviews, media. I'm sure they'll generate heat, Simon. I'm sure they will generate interest. And I'm sure, especially Covington, he's going to be pushing some buttons. We've already seen videos of him uh, handshaking or attempting an awkward handshake with the US President Donald Trump earlier today. And I'm sure that's going to play into fight week shenanigans as well. For me, though, it's not going to come anywhere near where these two were in terms of generating fight interest to the masses back in 2018. So there's my kind of take on it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I agree. This 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 would have had more heat on it had it been 12 months ago. Um, but it is. I think it's still it's still a massive matchup. I think any any time Colby's involved, the heat comes guaranteed anyway. So. It really is going to be a case of how Tyron Woodley approaches this. Tyron Woodley has not looked himself in his last two fights. He's, he has looked a shadow of the man who absolutely demolished Robbie Lawler to win the belt. Um, he fought while champion, largely very defensively, as if he was trying to hang on to what he had rather than going out and winning fights. Um, and then in, in, in the two fights that he lost... It just wasn't the real Tyron Woodley. So if he can't get up for a fight with Colby Covington and come out all, all guns blazing, then I would I would I'll be getting a little bit worried. Um we know what Colby's gonna bring because for all of the window dressing, for all of the the the, the MAGA hats, the the rubbing shoulders with Donald Trump and all of that sort of business and you know the Instagram and all of that, strip all of that away. You've got one of the best 175 pound 170 pound fighters on the planet he's elite he's an outstanding fighter uh i know people don't like the persona i i i'm one of them but he's a hell of a fighter and uh woodley's gonna need to be back to his very best to beat him so i'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out now co-main event donald serrani versus nico price very interesting matchup this donald serrani of course we know he's been around forever he's got that co-main event slot He's a big fight for Nico Price, who, when he's on, he can be really dangerous. And I've actually picked him to win this particular matchup, Sandu. Um, it's a real chance for him. He's he's a dangerous man at 170. He's a big lad as well. I think he'll have a, a, a size advantage over Cowboy. Uh, he's certainly broader across the shoulders. But uh, that's a big fight for him. I mean, how do you see that one going? I, I'm, pick, I'm picking Nico Price here, Simon. Uh, I, th- I just think he's in his prime... Um, he's not got the miles on him compared to Cerrone. I mean, Cerrone's coming off the worst uh, losing streak of his career. Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor, Anthony Pettis. Again, no chumps there either, right? We're talking former champions, title challengers, and arguably one or two of the best of all time in that list. This, this kind of crept up on me out of nowhere. I, I'm not... It felt like just the other day I was seeing Cowboy Cerrone post a picture of his his newborn son, Riot. And then it 
and all of a sudden I thought, oh, hang on a second, there's an announcement he's fighting this weekend, <laughs> which is, it kind of caught me off off guard a little bit. But um, yeah, big fight for, for Donald Cerrone, and um, he has to win, Simon. Because, like, if he loses his fifth in a row, like, do you keep him around? Do you kind of maybe have the talk to say, hey, Cerrone, you know, we're giving you lesser competition. And again, no offense to Nico Price, but he's no Justin Gaethje, he's no Tony Ferguson, he's no Conor McGregor, and he's no Anthony Pettis. At least not right now, at this stage of his of his career. But uh, if he can't beat Nico Price, Simon, I think this is the ultimate litmus test in terms of where Cerrone is. Um, I think Dana White is going to have to have a conversation with him because how can you justifiably book someone, even a Cowboy Cerrone, even with someone that wants to fight every weekend if he could, He's been around for a long time, but he's coming off five losses at that point. It will be tough. It will be very, very tough. So um, I'm picking Nico Price to win. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually going to pick him to win by stoppage here as well. Um, big one. Big one for Cerrone, man. Like uh, I think a lot of fans and a lot of people in the community like Donald Cerrone. Um, he's definitely a fan favorite. But um, he's at the end of his career. And it's just going to be a little bit heartbreaking if all we see the UFC do is wheel out Donald Cowboy Cerrone, fight upon fight upon fight, and he keeps taking L's. Yeah, it's a tricky one. And and Nico Price, I mean, I think the one thing we can guarantee is we're going to see some serious action in this fight. Nico Price's last six fights, he's alternated wins and losses, but they've all finished by knockout or TKO. So we know we he's kind of lived by the sword, die by the sword kind of fighter. Um so that should make for an exciting fight in the co-main event. Also in, on that main card, Kamzat Chimaev, um, who is the talk of the town right now. He's the flavor of the month. The, uh, the Chechen-born Swedish fighter um, who was only recently awarded his BJJ blue belt um, at All-Stars Gym. He's taken on Gerald Mearshart, who is no mug at middleweight. Um, Chimaev made his UFC debut at middleweight, stepping in on short notice um, against John Phillips, then moved down to his natural weight class of welterweight and beat Reese McKee, the former Cage Warriors fighter. And uh, now he's back up to middleweight again. And I think this is what he's looking to do, fight at middleweight and then make a quick turnaround, then do his weight cut for the second fight when he's already in shape. And the plan is... And this is incredibly presumptuous by everybody involved that after he faces Gerald Mearshart and presumably wins, he then goes on and faces Damian Meyer. Now, this is all great on paper, but Gerald Mearshart is, is being massively disrespected here, I think. Um, he's legit. And uh, I think this is going to be this is going to be an interesting fight. If Chimaev handles Mearshart the way he's handled uh, McKee and Phillips, then fair play to him. He's he's the truth. But I don't know. I, I in some ways I like what they're doing with him because it's different and it's exciting and it's new. But I also don't like what they're doing with his opponents. So it's an interesting one. But all eyes will be watching him when he when he gets into the cage on Saturday night. That's for sure. Absolutely, I'm loving it. I am so bored. The Hamza Shumayev hype train. I absolutely love it. And again, you're, you're bang on the money, Simon. This is different. We don't really see the UFC give a, a newcomer this much, you know, plump and promotion and book him essentially two fights in advance. If I'm Gerald Mishat, I'm literally like, I, I hope this is lit a fire under him. 
because he can spoil the party this weekend, right? And if a fighter needs any more motivation going up against an opponent that the president of the promotion has essentially said has already got another fight booked after this one, well, like, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, I don't know what will. But um, that being said... I'm, all, I'm like I said, I'm all aboard the the Kimaev hype train. I think he's going to win this weekend, and then I think a Damian Meyer booking down the road makes a lot of sense. He's a name, he's a legend, but he's well past his prime. He's essentially fodder. He's essentially, you know, it's essentially throwing meat to a wolf. No pun intended. And um, it's interesting with Kimaev as well because it's hard to place him in a in a weight category in terms of booking him down the road. He's fighting at middleweight. He's fighting at welterweight. It's like, you know, which is good in a way because he's keeping all of his options open as well. Um, I think if he comes through this weekend with another scintillating performance, a finish, does some good work on the mic, you know, does some good stuff in the cage and goes on to fight Ireland and eventually does get that Damien Meyer booking. First of all, he is the current front runner to, to scoop up that breakthrough star of the year, newcomer of the year award of 2020. And um, I think at a time when it's been a challenging year for the UFC, at a time where there's been no fans to help put someone over, quote unquote, uh, when it comes to you know performances in, in the arena, Hamzat Shemaev has been an absolute breath of fresh air. Um, and if you think about it, how many Dagestani, Chechen, Russian fighters that look similar to him have we seen come and go, Right. So in terms of aesthetics, he looks like a lot of other fighters we've seen compete in the UFC for a number of years, right? But he's got that it factor, and he's kind of made it his own. He's got charisma and personality, and he's allowed that to exude in spades, both in his performances in the cage, both in his uh, post-fight antics and post-fight interviews. And I think he's kept the allure of what he's all about alive pretty well using his social media. And then, of course, it doesn't hurt when Dana White's putting you over as well, right? And that's what Dana White should be doing. And I wish he did more of it, to be honest with you. I wish he actually put over more fighters that break through like this. Um, and I know he's got a tough job on his hands. He's got like 500 fighters on the roster. Uh, so he can't do it for absolutely everyone. But I'm glad he's done it with Kimaev, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this weekend. And um, he... I think they put him in a nice card here because we all know that this weekend's event is going to have a lot of eyeballs on it anyway. And so to bring along Kimaev nicely, it kind of reminds me of Israel Adesanya from a couple of years ago where they kept putting him on main cards. And I don't think it'll be too long until we perhaps see him headline a fight night card. Maybe it's on Fight Island. Maybe it's against Damian Meyer, right? We just don't know. Maybe they're going to put him on the fast track as well. But I'm all for it, man. I'm excited. And I can't wait to see what happens this weekend with him. The thing that makes me excited about this fight in particular is you see what we've, based on what we've seen from him in the UFC, uh, obviously he's got, a, he's, he's got fights before that, fighting for Brave and, and, and fighting elsewhere. But in the UFC, what we've seen is a man who likes to take people down and dominate people on the mat. This is going to be really interesting this weekend because I don't know if we're going to see that necessarily in this matchup. Gerald Mearshart is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt who has finished 23, 23 of his 31 career wins by submission. You don't mess with a Jiu-Jitsu practitioner like that 
unless you're either absolutely nuts or you have an insane level of belief in your own grappling skills. As I mentioned, literally only a few weeks ago, he was given his blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay, so if we're talking the belt system of jiu-jitsu, he's got a long way to go and a fair few years before he's at Gerald Mearshart's level in terms of being a, as, a, as, a, as a black belt. Now, you know, you can't take your black belt into the cage with you and, you know, it's mixed martial arts, all things all things are possible. I wonder whether this is a fight where we're going to see Hamzat Shimaev's striking game. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out for him um, because I don't think he's going to have it his own way at all on the mat. I think Mearshart is going to present a really, really interesting test for him and a really dangerous test. He makes one mistake, even from top position, he'll get submitted. You know, this he's facing a guy who has submitted countless people and knows what he's doing on the mat. You might be able to dominate someone who is exclusively a striker, like John Phillips, um, but against a guy who's got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, 23 career submission wins to his name, um, that's different gravy. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this all how this all pans out and and how Chimaev actually approaches this fight. I'm hopeful that we see him stand up and we see how he does standing up because earlier on in his career he was finishing people with strikes. So um, a lot of them, admittedly, from ground and pound, but he's 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 finishing people with strikes. I'm looking forward to seeing how he actually goes about this um, because it's a very dangerous fight for him. If he beats Gerald Mearshart on the mat, then all bets are off. You know, he goes into the Damien Mai fight with a load of momentum. Um, and, uh, you know, again, Maya's not at his peak, but you don't mess with Damien Maya on the mat. If he tries that stuff with Maya and wins, then goodness me, you've got yourself a contender. So really going to be interesting to see how all that goes for him. Um, a hot prospect who is being given the chance to shine. Uh, someone else who is considered a hot prospect, but has had a bit of a, a bit of a wobble in his career. Johnny Walker is back, taking on Ryan Spann, who a lot of people are very, very excited about as well at light heavyweight. Mackenzie Dern is back in action against Random Marcos. But let's talk about the main card opener before we finish off Sandu. Middleweight bout between one of the most fun 185 pounders in the UFC, Kevin Holland, the trailblazer who has an appointment with the dentist. Darren Stewart from London, England, who is in some pretty damn good form himself. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this one because this is potentially a fight that could really catapult Darren Stewart up towards the uh, some of the bigger names at £185. He's won three of his last four. He's won uh, five of his last five of his last seven, um, and the only times he's lost have been on the scorecards. So, I'm looking forward to this. If he beats if he beats Kevin Holland, I think it's time for Darren Stewart to get a push, and I think he can do it. You know what this fight reminds me of, Simon? Just to kind of go back to Hamzat Shemaev a little bit, it's almost like this is the end of the UFC's uh, run at the apex this time around, right? And when they did that at Fight Island. They are basically kind of asked the fighters that have cu- had come through those first few fights unscathed, hey, stick around, you may be able to get another fight. And in this situation with Kevin Holland and Darren Stewart, they both fought on the same card on August 8th. They both won. 
They've both come through unscathed. They've stuck around, right? And here you go. You've got yourself another fight at the apex, another potential payday. And good for them because look how many fighters around the world are training and they can't get a fight booked. Maybe there's restrictions. Maybe you can't get into the country. What have you? Who knows what the situation is? It's, it's a it's tough times out there for a lot of people, Simon. So, and, and and going back to the overall card, it reminds me of the very last card at Fight Island before they kind of signed off, right? It's like, here you go, everyone that kind of won, stuck around, we're going to stack this card, we're going to give you 15 fights and all the rest of it, right? Um, by the way, just want to say quickly, I know we had a couple of weeks of really bad luck with the UFC with weight cut issues and COVID issues. Last weekend wasn't bad. We actually ended up getting a pretty full card. And if you're looking at the the, the, the card, we haven't talked about the prelims. It's fairly stacked. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about this one, Simon, to kick off the main card. Obviously, with a Brit pack. So we want to see uh, British fighters do well. Darren Stewart, I've been fortunate enough uh, to kind of cover him when he was at Cage Warriors. And um, when he was kind of doing some of the salsa dancing and, and all the rest of it before it become a part of his signature and a bit of his uh, a trademark. But Darren Stewart looking like a snack coming to 2020, uh, coming off a win. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the dentist can produce on Saturday night. Not going to be easy. Kevin Holland is freaking good. He's really good. It's a great matchmaking of uh, by the UFC. Two guys who are in their prime and looking to make a name for themselves in the UFC. So I can't wait for this one. Yeah. Holland's won five of his last six. Stewart's won five of his last seven. And uh, they both they both like to stand and bang and finish fights. Holland's got that sneaky good jiu-jitsu as well. So um, looking forward to that one. That is, that is your main card opener uh, for UFC fight night this weekend. Masab Bektik's on the, on, on, on the prelims. Uh, Jordan Espinosa, Jessica Rose-Clark, Randy Costa, Andre Ewell. TJ Laramie from your neck of the woods, Sandu. Um, hot prospect coming out of Canada. He's he's been he's been doing big things for the TKO promotion in Canada for a fair while now. Um, got his chance in the contender series, got the win. I think it was by an injury TKO in the end, but it was a fight that he was well on his way to winning. Got his UFC contract. He kicks off the night on UFC Fight Pass against Derek Minner in a fight that I fully expect him to win. He's one to watch out for for sure. He's he's a little tank of a man. At 145 pounds. Um, should be a really, really good night of fights. That is this Saturday, September the 19th from the UFC Apex. And then after that, we're on our way. Well, we're not on our way. But the UFC is on their way to UFC Fight Island. That, I think, is pretty much all we have on the slate for the Brit Pack this week. Sandu, can you do the usual? Yep, absolutely. If you want to follow Simon Head, uh, he's at Simon Head on Twitter, at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I'm at Sandu MMA across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter, but where we really want you guys uh, to go is the Britpack.substack.com. That's the Britpack.substack.com. Uh, that's where you can find uh, the, the headquarters of the show. You just drop in your email, subscribe. You get an email notification every week when the show is live. And then from there, you can go to Spotify, Apple, all the links for the show, uh, wherever you find or listen to your podcast is available there. And for those of you that do listen to us on Apple specifically, 
If you can give us a rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It goes a long way to help us uh, be discovered on the Apple podcast platform. So that will uh, be much appreciated if you could do that. And, and apart from that, Simon, I can't wait. I'm on shift for BT Sport this weekend again. Uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what these fighters produce. It, lots of big names, lots of um, stories heading into this weekend. Um, lots of stakes. And it's not something that we could have talked about heading into last weekend's card. So this is a big one. Uh, this is probably the best fight night in a minute. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. I'm actually not working Saturday, but I'm on duty early doors on Sunday. But um, I think my wife's taking the kids up to see her parents this week. So I've got the house to myself. So I think I'm going to have to load the fridge and uh, just uh, veg out in front of the TV um, eating really unhealthy food and uh, watching the fights like a fan for a change. That'll be that'll be a nice change for a Saturday night. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week to uh, to run through it all with you. But yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for checking out the show, and uh, we'll speak to you in a week's time. Yeah.